0: We ask you to turn your Bible to First Thessalonians chapter five. If you're using the Pew Bible that we have in you know strewn throughout this room, that's page 987. You know, we don't often read First Thessalonians. It's a passage about the return of Jesus. This is supposed to be part four of uh, our Advent series. Two messages on Christmas, and then we're going to have two messages on the second coming of Jesus Christ. But in my preparations this week, I thought, let's have one more, <laughs> all right? So we'll do one more message next week on the second coming of Jesus. So this will be a kind of penultimate message, but uh, this will be out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. is the word of God. Let me pray for this message and let's get into it day when you return is coming like a thief in the night Lord God and are we living in the light and are we living not asleep and I pray that we would consider that seriously deeply in the year 2012 Lord help us learn what it means today and you would change us and meet us, change us bit by bit, but also put a movement of repentance and of light into our heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to continue kind of what we were talking about last week. Last week that your life, the meaning of your life is not in 60, 70, 80, or 90 years, and this is your life. But that your life, if you believe in Jesus, is going to go on. That the that the horizon of your life is in eternity. And this eternity, you know, so that how you shape the days that you have now should be powerfully shaped by this day of the Lord that Jesus is talking, that this passage is talking about. Now, let me get into this passage, and I want to show you, in some ways, the way I think this passage is so important. Now. Paul, he's, he's strange. He uses a lot of strange metaphors and ideas. He says, it's a picture in your mind, and then are shifting these pictures around. He, he says right at the get-go that there's a day of the Lord. And what he's talking about is there will be one day when Jesus returns. Christians talk about Sundays. You know, my father doesn't even call Sundays Sundays. He calls it the Lord's Day. And you know, for him, every Sunday is a day that celebrates that Jesus is risen, and therefore, that's in, in, in the midst of the week. There are work days, and then there are play days. But then there's the Lord's day. But the Bible talks about a day which will be the day, the day of the Lord with a capital D, and that is when Jesus will ultimately return, and he will not be simply someone that we have heard about, and he's a picture of the guy with the beard that we have, maybe, maybe some of you have. On your wall at, at home, but that He will, we will see His face, and He will be here on this earth, and He will make all things anew. And this is the day, and but the Bible talks about this day in a very strange way. It says, and this isn't the only place it describes this. It says it's twice, but that that day will come like a thief in the night. And if you think about that, it's a very strange image. What is that saying? It's saying that it's going to come very suddenly and unexpectedly. And then all of the, and then in that suddenness, everything will change. I mean, when you think about every single night that you go to bed, do you think, hmm, tonight I think a robber is going to break into my house. Is that how you think? You don't expect it. Tonight when you go to bed, it's probably going to be very similar to every other night. You check your alarm, you put on your pajamas, it's going to get dark and you, you're going to expect to conk out and tomorrow will be another day just like today. But do you expect that tonight, maybe at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m., someone's going to break in like a thief and they'll be completely like, whoa, what's going on? But Jesus says, the scriptures say that the Lord's day, the day of the Lord will be like that. It'll break in. Now, this passage also says, it has another strange image. He talks about this image of us being in the day. Now, if you believe in Jesus and you consider yourself a Christian, you've been born again, and uh, His Holy Spirit dwells in you, this passage says you know this. You, you know this to be true. And throughout you know, um, much of kind of Western, you know, European and American history, people believed this, that history will one day, the world will come to an end, and Jesus, who is the King of all kings, will return, and and then everything will be renewed, and His kingdom will be here on earth. People believed in this. But more and more... People do not believe in this. As we are becoming, a, you know, as faith in Christianity seems to be weakening, especially in our society, we're becoming a, what you know, Europe and America are calling it a post-Christian society. And people don't believe in this anymore. And so, if you believe in this, what the, the Bible is saying is that you live in a light, you live in a daytime. And the passage likens those people who know that there is an end to history coming, and it will, it will come suddenly. Jesus the Lord will come that you are living in a light but everybody else who doesn't know this and isn't living according to this are living like uh, in a darkness as you're living it's it's weird it talks about that the way you're living is really more like you're sleeping that you're not awake that you're asleep now this is a very strange image and, and in this year 2012 part of what I want you to do and one of the reasons why we're going through this is to think how large and vast the gospel is and all its implications. And one of the great implications is, is that there is a triumph that is coming. That Jesus is going to return and and heal all of the world. And in that, we live in the anticipation of that, the twilight of that. And if that is the case, you know what are some of its implications? And I want you to think about that in this text. But one of the implications is that you are living in a light while everybody else is living in a darkness. Now, I want to, in order to shed some more light, so to speak, on this passage, I want to turn your attention to another passage in the Bible because that speaks about the same topic. And that topic, I'm not going to make you return to it, but I just want to, I want to highlight this passage. And that is Matthew chapter 25. And in Matthew chapter 25, the one who does the teaching is Jesus himself. And Jesus teaches a parable, just a very strange and odd parable, where he's talking about this Return of the bridegroom, as he calls it. And in this paragraph, he says there are ten virgins. And five of them are wise and five of them are foolish. And what they're doing is the picture is of these virgins. And they're, it's at nighttime. And they all have a lamp. And the lamp is, you know, I mean, today, you know, we have light. But the lamp is something like, I don't know how you describe this little cup. And in it has oil. And out of the oil has a wick. And so it's really more like a candle, except instead of, instead of wax, what keeps the um, flame going on the wick is, is the oil. And the way, he the way Jesus describes these ten virgins is they're waiting for a bridegroom. And the whole context of Matthew chapter 25 is the return, is the second coming of Christ, is the return of the Lord. And he, and he, and he describes... This event as if there are ten, um, virgins and the ones that are wise, what they, what they do is they keep the lamp filled with oil and the light lit because they're waiting because in the middle of the night, their bridegroom may show up and they should be waiting awake and um, alive waiting for him. So here's the picture. The picture is the way Jesus presents this. They're virgins. A virgin in this time is one who is betrothed. In other words, engaged. Engaged to be married to the one who's going to be the bridegroom. And so the picture he's presented is this bridegroom has gone off on a trip. And what, what everybody's in this time, and it's a very weird image to us today because we don't think like this and we don't have quite the reality that they have. In their time, everybody fully understands what they're saying. Ah, a virgin. A virgin who is engaged. So then... What should a virtuous engage be should be ready and waiting to anticipate her husband or the one who's going to be her husband to come home? And so when he's talking about this lamp, he is saying, you know, if he comes home in the middle of the night, these people would understand it would be kind of rude, like she's like she's waiting for her marriage. She's waiting for the big day to arrive. And if she's just kind of conked out of sleep, it'd be like, what's going on here? Right? Isn't she really isn't she anticipating that the most important person that's going to bring, that's the, whether it's going to be in her life, is going to come in, that she should be waiting for this person. And the way Jesus puts it, is, and it's very interesting that both passages talk in a very similar way darkness, night. Right? Whether there's light and whether you're going to keep a light on. This is the way Jesus talks about this. Now, let me, let me take a moment here. If you are a virgin in this time, you know, and and of course, in this society, if you're not married, you're certainly supposed to be a virgin. And in our society, we know that that's certainly not the way we tend to think and we certainly operate. But what what this passage is saying, when Jesus in Matthew 25 is describing this waiting for the coming bridegroom, he's like, all of us, even even if you're a man, even if you're if you're not a woman, we are like virgins if you believe in Jesus. Then the, and what we're waiting for in our life is that someone important is going to come and fulfill our life. And until you're, until that person comes, your life is kind of, in a sense, waiting. In this culture, virtually almost all the women get married. I mean, there are some who, who don't. but And so, if you're a virgin and you are betrothed, you are engaged to your bridegroom to come, your life isn't going to be fulfilled until he comes. A person, a virgin isn't going to think, oh, you know, he's being a little slow to show up. So then she's going to say, you know what, I'm just going to go on with my own agenda and try to fulfill my life apart from him. And thus, you know, I'm just going to blow my light out and, you know, not worry about whether he shows up or not. This is what Jesus is talking about here. That the virgin understands, like, I'm, my life is in him returning and then my life will come to its next stage and its fuller completion. Until then you know, I, I, I fully anticipate, and that's what the light represents. Now, we're starting a new year. And I wanted to, last week and this week, I wanted you to think about the meaning of your time and the way you keep your days. And what does this, this look like? You know, if you believe in Jesus and know that the world is coming to an end, and it's going to come to a fulfillment. There's a very different way of looking at life, culture, history than if you don't. I mean, if you don't believe that the world is going to come to a sudden end, even, not just an end, but a sudden end, and it's going to come to a fulfillment, a completion, tell me what evidence do you have that the world is going to come out good? That your life is going to come out good? What evidence is there? In fact, all the evidence suggests that the world is not going to turn out right. The only way you can believe, what well, we have in our societies, is we have profound optimists that says the world is going to turn out well, but all the optimists basically believe in fiction. And the only things they can believe in is fiction. And if you look at history, all you get is pessimism. Everything turns out badly. Every society, every culture... And every, you know, usually all winds down and declines. And every individual, sorry to say this to you so far, every single person, 100%, your life has ended in death. Right? And so what view do you have? What evidence do you have that your life will turn out well, that things will turn end well? But here, what Christians believe is this book is not fiction and it tells you that it's going to end and even end suddenly but, and if that is true, you should be living in a light, and what are some of those implications about how our, that should affect the way we live in our day in, in, in our day in and day out in the year two thousand and twelve that profound fact how should that affect you and what I want to do today is give you some some suggestions about and some applications and implications about how that may how, how that may play out in the year two thousand and twelve okay so Excuse me, I'm a little bit under the weather this week, and so I'm going to drink a lot of water. Number one, one of the things we can learn from this passage and from Matthew 25 applications, that Jesus is coming and that your life, the story of your life is eternal. Number one is do not be overly caught up in your plans for worldly success in the here and now. Understand who you are. Your story is not 80 years in the here and now, and I'm going to make everything work out great, and if I live a nice, long, healthy 80 or 90 years, your story is not 80 years, but it's forever. And your story is not just I'm a virgin and I don't have my bridegroom, and he's being a little slow to show up, and so I'm just going to fulfill my life on my own. And so if all your plans are here apart from Jesus and apart from how what's going to happen when he shows up and completes your life, then your plans are like a virgin, <laughs> kind of just blowing out the light and just trying to live life. You'll be, in this, you'll be asleep in the dark. So number one, just don't be so caught up in your plans and for your success. Because apart from Jesus, your life isn't going to be fulfilled. So if you're trying to make your life fulfilled with all your plans, it's just not going to work. Any wise virgin knows that my life is going to be fulfilled when my bridegroom comes. Right? That's when my life is going to have its completion. And so just under, that's, the, that's your identity and the fact of your life. So one, just take it a little easy here. Now, I'm not saying be lazy or not to have plans or not to pursue trying to make your life better. But to understand your life is not going to find its fulfillment apart from Christ. So one, just take it a little easy here on your plans. What grand plans do you have for 2012 for your career, for your family, for making money? Just one. Just ease off a little bit. You have plans, but God may wreck those plans, or God's plans may be quite different. And just ease up on that. That's number one. Number two, the time is short. It says here that Jesus may come like a thief. Time is short, not long. You may not have 20 or 50 years to plan out what you're going to do with your life. Let me ask you a question. What if Jesus were to return tonight? Would you feel like he robbed you? Would you feel that way? Wouldn't many of you feel that way? I think a lot of Christians would feel that way. Instead of being happy that Jesus is returning tonight, he's like, wow, my Savior is returning to the night, the one who loves me more powerfully, more completely than absolutely anyone I could possibly imagine. Instead, you'd be, maybe be unhappy because you'd feel like, I've got plans, my life, I've got a lot of good things to do with my life, and Jesus you're robbing me. And I think that's a very interesting image that Jesus would be like a thief. And I think, and it's repeated, we would feel like he's a thief, he's robbing me, but... Think about the implications of this. If your time is short, if your time is short, then then live today. Live today. Worship Jesus today. Love your wife, your kids today. Focus on what is pure and good and holy and what's going to last forever today. right? Have true worship today. The world may end tomorrow. I know nobody really believes that. You're like, I know we all believe it could, but you don't really believe that, do you? But actually, that's what the Bible says, that it could end tomorrow. It could end tonight. Years ago, I read this essay. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this essay called The World's Last Night. What if tonight is the world's last night? Wow. So live today. If you wake up in the morning and you're like, ooh, Jesus hasn't returned yet, then live today. Love him today. Savor worship today. You know, we come to church and it's like, oh, here we and Another Sunday, another piece of rote religion, another time we're going to say the Heidelberg Catechism. Blah, 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 blah. You know, oh, we're going to sing the song yet another time. Savor the song today. Okay? Enjoy the worship of your brother and sister today. Laugh and be happy to be with your friends today. Right? Enjoy today. You have three hundred and sixty-six days this year, and we've already you know, into eight of them. Right? Enjoy each day and savor each day. That's you know, implication number two of living in the light of Jesus' return. And number three, let me challenge you to have a resolution. A second coming resolution. A gospel centered the Good News Resolution. Now, what resolutions did you guys make for this year? Did any of you make any resolution? Some of you are like, "I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to rest. I'm going to work out every single week. I'm going to finish this novel that I have been, you know, been, you, know inti- you know intending to read, you know, my for years. I mean, one of these days, you know, it's not going to happen this year, but I have a. Re- I'm going to make a resolution to read Brothers Karamazov, which some people have said is literally the greatest novel ever written. Written by Fyodor Dostoevsky and it's like a thousand pages. So one of these years I'm going to make that as a resolution and I'm going to read Brothers Karamazov all thousand pages but not this year. okay? So what, what resolutions did you guys make this year? So are some of them ambitious? And what I'd like to offer you and what I'd like to challenge you to do is make a resolution and not even necessarily some large and grand one but just one. And I'm going to just offer you some possibilities. I'm going to some suggested Second coming, in the light of the second coming, gospel resolutions. And what I want to challenge you is just pick one. Just pick one and embrace that this year. And it doesn't even have to be a big one, just a very modest one. So I'm not asking you to lose 25 pounds. I'm asking you to do something like lose like five pounds. Or how about even three pounds, okay? And, and I want to offer you a resolution, uh, um, challenge you toward a gospel resolution to live life, knowing that Jesus come, and so this is where we Jesus come that we're waiting for Him to come again, and renew and make things all new. And let me offer you a few. So I've, I've kind of cheated, you know. I had kind of three grand a- applications. Don't be caught up in your worldly success plans this year, and trying to fulfill your life. Number two, the time is short. So savor today, and but number three, let me offer you some resu- potential revolution uh, resolutions. Number one, less talk radio. I don't know. Do you, are you guys listening to talk radio? Maybe you don't do talk radio. Or t- where do you get your content? And like, where do you get let, let let people speak into you? Do you listen to NPR or conservative talk radio? I'm just using that as an image or your news. Less talk radio. More God's Word. Right? Maybe you want to turn off the radio and listen to a, a good sermon. I'm not even saying even listening to my sermon. I'm not even that jealous. Right? Go find a really good preacher. And if you have any, you know, get his podcast and I'll, I'll give you suggestions if you're interested. Right? And listen to more God's Word. Less talk radio, more God's Word. Right? Just, one, just one possibility. You, I presume most of you have a commute Anywhere from 15 minutes, I know some of you guys have a really long commute, hour, hour and a half. Some of you go to San Francisco. You're in that crazy few percentage that has the, what, what the people say is the extreme commute. That's a lot of time, so maybe a little less podcasting or radio and more God's word, right? Number two, how about less mindless entertainment, but instead a little more time for worthy selfless. Service. How much time? I know that a lot of you guys work. This is Silicon Valley. Work is a big thing here. It's, it takes up a lot of energy. And a lot of people, when they give up their work, then they go and then they work some more and then they make their fun work. I mean, one of the reasons why people want work to be fun is so that they want you to work all the time. And if work is fun, you would work all the time. But some of you guys, you cut off work and then you go into entertainment. One of the things I'm really realizing, and I feel this, is our society is increasing in its phonetic pace. And you don't even have to live... We definitely feel this in Silicon Valley here in, in this county. But you don't even need to f- live in a place like this. I think you could live in a rural area and still feel the, uh, the pace of life moving. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a satellite TV customer. I'm, I have Dish Network. And you know the Dish Network i don 't even have the the most expensive tier of Dish Network. I have one of the cheap tiers of Dish Network, and I get eighty channels and so eighty channels and my wife and I we get the we get the dVR you know that 's the hard drive where you can record this stuff and recently, our DVR crashed and you know how many programs were on our DVR when it crashed? I think we had something like a hundred plus movies another 10 football games and documentaries. It was crazy. It was like so many episodes. Um, there were so many episodes of things on this so that I don't even actually have to ch- turn to one of the channels. I could just go through my DVR, and it would go through a lot, like page after page after page after page. And, I, it, and we, we saved all those things with the good intention of actually watching them. My wife doesn't want to watch She watches some of them, and I want to watch them. Of watching all these movies... And then I think the Lord's way of telling me no was to have the DVR just crash. It just die. I was like, oh, that stinks. And so so we had to call Dish Network up and then tell them, uh, you know, they made me go through the little rigmarole because they they definitely don't want to give me any new equipment until they're sure it's totally dead. They concluded it was dead. And then they sent me a new one. And for about five days, we had no TV. You know what? it was actually liberating it's actually rather liberating it's like wow what am i going to do with myself like, i'm actually going to have to spend time with my kids wow how about that right and so and you know some of you have more channels than i do the 80 channels and you may even have a bigger dvr hard drive than i do you probably have a bigger dvd collection than i do but how about how about facebook i have a facebook account but i'm basically a facebook like Retard. I don't really do it very well, and I don't really know how to do it. <laughs> but and I don't have lots of friends on. I mean, well, compared to some, I think I have like 200 or something like that, which is not a small number, but it's not a huge number. Some people have apparently have like hundreds and hundreds. But when I go on Facebook, this is what it seems to me. It's like news, news, news. You know, you like you're trying to keep up with all these friends, and there's all this stuff, and you get to the bottom of the page. And then, you know, you go, you get, you're like, okay, I went through, the, I, I finished. And then at the end, you go away, and then you come back like an hour later, and then there's more, there's more. It's like, it's, it's an endless stream. Do you realize what Facebook is like? Facebook is like having, like, two, if you have 200 friends, that's like having 200 channels. You can click on each one of their things and get into their life. It's like having 200 channels. So you have your 80 channels on Dish Network, and then you have another 200 channels on your Facebook, and it's an endless stream. And that's just Facebook. You know, Then you can go to ESPN. That's, that's, that's one of my favorite websites. And then you can go to all these other things. And the Internet itself is a flood of entertaining. You could always try to do something that's fun. Right? Let me offer this to you. Just stop for a, a little bit. Take some time and eh, Internet-free time. No Internet. right? Turn off the phone. Just turn it off a little bit. And... And this year, just a little bit less entertainment and, and just something that's just try to have one thing where you just purely selflessly, I'll do this. Some suggestions. I'll read my kids a story once a month. I didn't even say once a week. How about once a month, right? <laughs> once a month. I will do the dishes for my parents or for my roommate or you husbands for my Wife, right? Because she probably does the dishes. Let's be honest here now, right? I'll do the dishes once in a month, just purely selfless giving, right? Something. Pick one. Cut out some entertainment. Don't feel that you're entitled to have that time for your entertainment. And just cut it out. And just, just, just one small act of selfless service. That's one potential resolution I offer to you. Now, let me step back. I'm not telling you to do all these things. Just pick one, please, okay? I'm not trying to put a load of duty on your back, but just one that you could taste the light of what it means to live, the blessing of living in anticipation of Christ. So what do we got here? We got less talk radio, more God's Word, less entertainment, and one one resolution of small selfless service number three how about deepen in prayer and fellowship with god how long do you pray do you pray for five minutes how about once a week or maybe once a month you'll pray for 10 do you pray for 20 minutes how about once a month you'll pray for 30 or 40 you'll read the scriptures and then you'll just be still Maybe God will say nothing, and it will be kind of quiet. You're like, come on, pastor. It gets kind of boring to sit there in your quiet time, because quiet time is quiet. God doesn't talk sometimes. God's a little quiet sometimes, isn't he? And, but practice spending time with him. And I think this is a really lost art in our f- frenetic culture. You notice that we don't even know how to just sit and be with somebody if they're not talking if or if they're talking and they're not interesting to you. Whatever they're talking is not interesting to you. You ever go out to lunch with somebody? You go out into lunch with a group of people and whatever they're talking about you know, is not very interesting and then so you pull out your phone and like I know a lot of you have these little smartphones now. You pull out your phone and what do you do? You probably like go into Facebook. Right? Or you go into your email and because you, we, we can't just sit still anymore. Just be with somebody. And uh, I'm guilty of this too. My wife and I, sometimes we're eating breakfast together, and then she'll quietly say to me, You know, sometimes it's good to just be with your wife. Instead of, and then, you know, because I'll pull out my magazine and I'll start reading the latest article. uh, Or I'll pull out my phone and I will start checking the scores, or I'll look at the stock market, or something like this. And she'll just say, You know, and my wife is a quiet person. She's not very talkative. I mean, you can imagine, in our family, who does most of the talking? Our, one of the reasons our marriage works very well is because I do the talking and she does the listening and we both seem to like it that way. Right. Um But, you know, how about with God? With God. Read His Word. I'm not even talking about a big chunk of His Word. And pray and be still. And let me say a little something about prayer. Prayer is not a thing that you're supposed to do. Oh, uh, I've got to say all this. dear Heavenly father? Da, da, da. You know, um, the former senior pastor here, Pastor Lee, um, you know, he's, you know, I don't, he was only my mentor for just a year and a half, but he would say these things. And, and it's interesting to me how they, they come back to me. But one of the things he, he would say is he would, he would challenge the other pastors, all the pastors, to pray, to really spend time in prayer. And he was a man of deep prayer. And he would say, You should pray. And he says, Try praying an hour. I'm not telling you to pray, for, but it's what he challenges us to pray. He goes, He would say, For the first 30 minutes, you're not even praying. You just have noise in your head. And then, after you stop the noise and you become still, then you'll start praying. It's really interesting. Right? Now, I'm not trying to push you to pray for an hour. And I know what he's talking about. I'm like, oh, I get to God. Oh, it's like, but really, what prayer should be is a conversation, and some conversations can be quiet. Maybe some of your prayers should just be, God, I'm with you. I'm just a little tired. I'm just gonna sit here for now, being with you. You know what? And the Lord would love it. The Lord would love it. And some of your conversation, my prayers are kind of running conversations. And, it, and, and I would be embarrassed to let you in on that conversation because some of the things I say are not always so nice. <laughs> and sometimes they're, I'm not afraid to be a little rude to the king, right? And, uh, and to say what's on my mind, and it's running, and then they pick up. Like I pray, and then I'm like, oh, I'm busy. And then I move on, and then I pick it up. That, and then I pick up that prayer in, in my drive home from work, right? But deep, this year, deepen. And whatever deepen may mean for you, Maybe you'll turn off the radio and you'll talk to God while you drive. Maybe you will turn off the TV and you'll just sit before the Lord. You'll read his word for like two minutes and you'll sit for eight minutes. And you'll pray and pour out what's bothering you, what's on your heart. Some days you'll be joyful. Some days you'll be fearful. Some days you'll just be tired. But all of it, if you do it with God, before God, in conversation with God, that's prayer. That's prayer. Maybe this year, you should deepen in prayer time, fellowship time with God. Number four, these are all just suggestions, right? A little more generosity to the poor and to be mindful of missions. Maybe you'll say, this year, I think we have this uh, missions or mercy offering. Or I would like, there's, some, there's uh, somebody on the street that I see. On my regular commute. Or I'm going to pray for that guy. To be mindful of the poor. Or, you know, we, well, there's three missionary families that we support in, this, in, this, in our church. This year you say, you know, every month we have the missions offering. But you know what? Every month, once a month, I'm going to remember to pray for... And pick one of the families. I'm going to... Instead so, of so just generically praying for all three, pick, pick one of them. Pick for, pray for the Joes. You know, like I'm going to pray for the Joes and their ministry... With Persians, right? Maybe you just pick just pick one. That could be one resolution this year, and you're like living in anticipation of the King. Hmm? Number five. Okay, let me let's repeat. Less talk radio, more God's Word. Less mindless entertainment. One piece of small, selfless service. Three. Deepen in prayer and fellowship with God. Four. Just gain a little in generosity for mission or for the poor 5 okay this is for you married folks only for the married folks have more sex with your spouse okay yes you heard me say this i'm very ser- i'm quite serious this is not a joke right have more sex with your spouse if you're a once a month type of couple how about twice a month if you are a once a week type couple how about twice a week if you're a three-times-a-week couple, you're awesome, all right? <laughs> I'm like, okay, then go to four times a week. If you're an everyday, I was like, wow, I, I doubt any of you is an everyday, all right? Nobody's an everyday, all right? But more sex with your spouse, okay? I, I'm, I'm serious. I even read an article in Time Magazine, I think it was like one or two years ago, that was saying that couples don't... Have enough sex with each other And and the people are actually scheduling it They make appointments And they're saying Okay, Thursday night will be our night You know what? Actually, that would be great That would be beautiful If your spouse could know Every Thursday night You're like It would actually start You would anticipate that time You would start to get kind of excited About that time Some of you guys might shower on Thursday You know? That would be good It would be good, right? And do, do good things, right? So more sex with your spouse. Now, this is for married people, okay? If you're single, it doesn't apply to you. It may help you to want to get married, okay? But you're supposed to be a virgin. <laughs> I know we're not in our culture. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not stupid. I'm not blind, all right? I know that people are having sex outside of marriage. Uh, but when a married couple enters into deep intimacy with one another... That is pleasing to God. And do you understand? Like Jesus even talks about this thing, and I know this is kind of like a big piece of theology to drop on you right here in the middle of like offering you a potential New Year's resolution. But sex is it is it is the consummation of marriage. It is the celebration of a deep intimacy. And so actually by having sex, you are actually anticipating the fact that we are all supposed to be virgins waiting for our king to come into the deepest recesses of our soul and of our lives and fulfill us and love us that's what we're waiting for that's what sex means actually the meaning of sex is waiting for jesus to fill us that's what it's about so have sex <laughs> that's like literally to anticipate and celebrate that you are waiting if you're married so please have, get married and if you're, if you're, if you're single. And, uh, if you're single and, and you want to have sex, then, then get married. Okay. Pray for a marriage and get serious about getting married. Okay. And get, get wisdom about that. But, um, that's, that's, uh, one more resolution. And let me get to the final one here now. Okay. Let's re- review quickly. Less talk radio, more God's word, less mindless entertainment, and grow in selfless service one piece of selfless service, deepen in prayer and fellowship with God, grow in generosity for the poor or in mindful missions. Number five was have more sex with your spouse. And number six, this will be the last one, right, is keep practice, keep Sabbath, keep Sabbath. Hmm, pastor? It is a lost art. And one of the reasons why I think Christians do not have a strong witness and why we're such tired people and why we're always getting so spiritually run down is because we do not know how to rest. Do you understand what Sabbath is? God actually commanded, He commanded you to stop because that's literally what the word Sabbath means. The word, the Hebrew word Shabbat literally means stop, just stop. One whole day, just stop. Make that day different. And for most of you, it probably should be Sunday. Sunday, most of you don't, have, don't work on Sunday. Sunday is the day that you should, you should, that would be a special day. You worship this day. But don't just think, I'm just going to do my hour and a half here, and then I'm going to go, and then the rest of the day will be a lot like Saturday or Friday or any other day. But make the whole day a stop and set it aside. Right? And so, you know, it's similar. Pastor, I don't have time. i mean, it's, look, you do have time. The whole question about not having time is this. It's that you don't know how to order your time. Your time is disordered. The way the Lord orders time is one day, stop. You want to have sex with your spouse? You're like, we're too tired to have sex. How about, how about Sabbath? You know that the ancient Jews, the Israelites, you know what? Probably on Sabbath, they probably love Sabbath because that's the day they're like, that's the day we're going we're gonna to have fun. <laughs> they, they wake up, they know they're going to eat a nice meal with their family. That's a day where not, there's not going to be any work or worry of work. This is the day they're going to know that the Lord is my. He is our great Bridegroom. He is the one who is taking care of us. We're not going to work today. We're not going to try to fulfill ourselves today. We're not going to run around today. We're going to just. We're going to worship. We're going to laugh. I'm going to hang out with my wife. I'm going to. I'm going to just be bored or do nothing with my kids and. And at, at nighttime, I'm going to love my wife. Sabbath, beautiful. And many of you, you work, work, work. And then Sunday or Sabbath is not restful, is it? Even the way you do entertainment should be different. Let me even suggest to you, entertain yourselves differently on the Sabbath day. I, mean, I work on this day, on Sunday, right? So I take my Sabbath... I try to take my Sabbath from Saturday, Sunday night to Monday night. And I'm not really, honestly, I'm not a very good Sabbath keeper. But on Monday, I try not to read emails. Even the websites that I go to on Monday are not the same websites I would look on Tuesday through Sunday. Right? I, don't, I don't look at those websites. The books that I read on Monday are not the same books that I read Tuesday through um, on Sunday. Because because all those things, if it connotes work and I've got to fulfill myself, that I've got to stop. Just stop. So let me challenge you. Like, wow, one whole day? Yeah, one whole day. Practice Sabbath. Because what's going to happen is one day Jesus is going to return and you know what? The ultimate Sabbath is going to come. And all your tiredness will finally drop off. Now look, Jesus, the world needs a hero. The world, you, you need your bridegroom. And you know you need a completion and a fulfillment. But history is going to come to a fulfillment and your life is going to come to a fulfillment. Jesus came. He died on the cross and he was resurrected. You know what that was? That was the betrothal. He won us. You are his. If you believe in him, you are engaged to him he is go- you're going to be- he's going to be here. He is your bridegroom. You're going to be his forever. That engagement has happened. But now we're waiting. So we live in between this time when the bridegroom will come and fully take us to be his. And so you live this year, 2012. You say, I want to live this way. I want to live this way, knowing that's true, in my lifestyle, and fix my eyes on Jesus And notice, do you notice these things I'm asking you to do? I hope you don't think any of them would would be a burden. I hope none of those feel like a burden to you because I'm not trying to add some kind of legalistic burden to you. What I'm trying to offer to you is the cheer, the light, the beauty, the, the, the enjoyment. If you were to do any one of these things, your life would grow more full, would grow more restful, would grow more beautiful, and happy. I dare tell you. So I just I challenge you to one of these resolutions not as some kind of guilt or some kind of... And and please don't try to do all six resolutions, okay? Because then you will get tired that way. Just pick one or maybe two, right? And live. So let me review. We'll close up the sermon. The application. Don't be overly caught up in your plans and your life fulfillment this year. Let Jesus be your fulfillment. Number two, time is short. Enjoy today. And three, pick one resolution. Not talk radio God's word. Less mindless entertainment, but an act of selfless service. Number three, deepen in prayer and fellowship with God. Number four, grow in generosity for the poor for mission. Number five, enjoy more intimacy with your spouse. And number six, practice Sabbath. It's all from the goodness of Jesus. So we fix our eyes in living in anticipation on Him. This is what it means to have your lamp filled with oil, to have the light shining in your life, and not to be falling asleep into the darkness. All the people around us, they don't have Sabbath. All the people around us are so caught up in the fulfillment it's fulfilling their life, even though they can't fulfill their life. All the people are they're consumed by entertainment. They're consumed by all these other things. The people who don't have Jesus, but will you live in the light, The anticipation that your bridegroom is coming? And even now, the goodness of His coming is breaking into your world, into your history. Let's pray. We're this frenetic and exhausted people. And it is a blessing, Lord, to live in this society where there's so many options and possibilities, Lord God. But I pray, oh Lord, I pray that you would uh, would help us to stop. Help us to take account that our story isn't just this 70, 80, 90 years, but that we have you. And each day we can savor. Each day is like a moment of eternity. And I pray that you would change us and you would make us into an odd and strange people. Odd and strange in this world because we're, we walk according to a different pace and a different drumbeat, Lord God, yours. Bless my brothers and sisters in 2012. Bless us, Lord. Bless us with your presence Bless us with your voice. Bless us with the deeper application of this good news that you will return and make all things healed and new. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Response to the Lord with our offerings.